today what I wanted to talk about, I want to talk about, um, you know, it, it's, it's, we can be generous people, but I think something core has to happen. I think we have to walk with a different perspective and a different paradigm. And in order to do that, we probably need to be transformed in the way we think, walk, and live. Okay? So I, I felt like the Lord this morning really wanted us to walk in uh, and be renewed and refreshed. I think there's a refreshing here this morning for some of us. You know, when we sing these songs, these songs uh, have words in them, and there's a reason why this word out of Scripture that I got up and I read in Ezekiel 37, that there's something that we have in front of us that God wants to transform our paradigm and how we're looking at it. And this morning, perhaps, you may be sitting here, and when I make this statement, that today the church can and should partner with transformation. And I also want to tell you the first step to partnering with transformation is a, being a transformed church full of transformed people. Now, you may say, I don't need transformed. I'm good. But if I were to guess as a human to another human, there are things about our lives that we see, that we understand, that we hold dearly, that we're like, God, if, you're, if, if there is a God, could you alter and shift, could you transform this thing? Could, could, could you change? Could you renew even? Could you refresh maybe my perspective? This morning, my prayer is that our perspective would be refreshed and changed and transformed. One of the key obstacles of living a transformed life is just a lack, in my opinion, of understanding, of core understanding of what transformation really means and what it is. So today we're going we're gonna to discuss and we're going to talk about, in order to understand the power of transformation, uh, the why, the who, and the how of transformation. Because I, I think this is really fundamental, this is foundational for you in your life, and for me it has been in my life, and I think it's foundational for the church. Because what's going to happen is, is when we understand these things, it's going to shift who we see ourselves as. It's going to shift who we see ourselves as. So we've been in the book of Acts. Now what I'm going to do is, I'm going to take a, a really big leap from the beginning of chapter 3 to the beginning of chapter 9. But I want to fill in some blanks, okay? And uh, one of the biggest things that I want to tell you is, is that right after we read that all of the followers of Jesus, 3,120, were, were hanging out together and they were selling possessions and selling property and they were loving one another and they were eating meals together, they were meeting in the temple courts. This is what we talked about last week. You can go back and you can watch that on our YouTube channel. Um, right after that, Peter and John, two of Jesus' uh, closest followers, Peter as one of them was just a knucklehead, he denied Jesus three times. Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times. He does this. And then mere days later, we, we read a couple weeks ago, the Holy Spirit shows up in this upper room that they're hanging out in and completely changes Peter. There's our first example of transformation. It takes him from being a coward to being bold. And so, Right in chapter three, right when we leave chapter two, Peter and John are walking and they end up meeting this man who's lame and he's been lame his entire life and he's hanging out by this gate and everyone knows who he is and he asks him for money and Peter's like, bro, I don't have any money. Bro, he didn't say bro, I, but I said that. Okay, this is Pat's translation. 
So, because, okay, anyway, awesome, thanks. I'm the dad. He's like, I don't have any money, but I'll tell you what, I can heal you. And he ends up praying for this guy, he gets healed. And the healing, the whole point of the healing was, is it created an opportunity for Peter to preach Jesus. So he preaches Jesus, and it makes a bunch of the religious rulers at the time mad, and so they end up getting into a squabble. But the end result is 2,000 plus people get saved. Amen. Then as we go, uh, we continue through the book of Acts, we see the apostles healing more peop- people and using the attention of those healings to preach more of Jesus. Do you, are, are you noticing a pattern here? All roads lead to Jesus here, okay? So what's healing for? So people go, ah, it opens their eyes, and then it's like, I have, I have your attention because a lame man just stood up. A, a blind man can see. So I have your attention. Oh, now I have your attention. Let me tell you about this guy, Jesus, Okay? And then there's this point where there's uh, a, a segment of society. These are the, the Grecian Jews. So the Jews, ethnically they're Jewish, but they come from more, more the Greece uh, landscape. And then you have the Hebraic Jews, uh, very traditionalists. And you have this, this tension between the two because the Grecian Jews are like, hey, we're not getting the dispensation of, of goods. We're, we're not getting help. We need help. And they're complaining to the apostles. And I love this. The apostles are like, hey, we need to be praying and we need to be reading the Torah and we need to be going out and praying for people and preaching Jesus. So do, do you guys really, it's like, okay, I'm just gonna speak from a father's perspective today because it's Father's Day and I'm a dad of many. It's like, do, do all of you really need to come to me for a solution? Can you, honestly, can you guys just work this out? Because I need to stick to doing what dad, like dad stuff. The apostles are like, we need to be in prayer and we need to be about seeking God and we need to be about going out and preaching Jesus. So they said, appoint among you seven men who are full of wisdom and the spirit of God. So they appoint these seven men and everyone's happy. And one of the chief guys who gets appointed is this guy, Stephen. We're coming to an end here. I want you to hang on, okay? This guy, Stephen, gets appointed. Stephen is this miraculous, mouthy, bold dude. He ends up standing up in front of all of the religious rulers at the time. And he gives one of the greatest speeches probably in the history of the Bible. And he ends up calling them stiff-necked people. And he's like, you guys got it wrong. You murdered Jesus. And what does he do? He preaches Jesus. But preaching Jesus gets Stephen murdered. So Stephen gets murdered. And the, 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 the kind of the chief person amongst the religious rulers who's there at the time, who is giving the nod, it's okay. His hands weren't on it, but his authority was over it, was this guy named Saul. And this is where we're going to pick up in the story because I want to talk about Saul today. In Acts chapter 8, 1, it says, Saul was one of the witnesses of Stephen's murder, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And it says, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul, listen to this, was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Now, uh, Saul's name means desired. And uh, it's a really funny thing because this guy had his, uh, he has like the most desire for Saul was of himself. 
In fact, he, his, both of his parents were Jews, so he saw himself and called himself, he would say, I'm the Hebrew of all Hebrews. This guy was really had a very inflated uh, like view of himself, didn't he? Here's the most fascinating thing I think we all can relate a little bit to Saul. Sometimes we're like, well, I'm like the blank, fill in the blank. I'm the, I'm the employee of all employees. I deserve that raise. <laughs> I'm the dad of all dads. I deserve more than a barbecue that I have to cook on. When mothers on Mother's Day get to go out for food, I have to barbecue. How does this work? Like you get mimosas and brunch. I get to cook everyone food. Amen. That's what being a dad's about. Okay. Yeah, all the men said, preach, pastor. Okay, come on. <laughs> Here's the funny thing about Paul. I'm sorry, Saul, who later becomes Paul. Sorry. We're going to get to that part of the story. This guy was only four feet, six inches tall. This dude, the most murderous person in all of history of Christians, was only four feet, six inches tall. Okay? Later on in life, later on in the story, his name gets changed to Paul. And the word Paul to Romans means little. <laughs> okay? This is so fascinating to me. The littlest guy is, is the gnarliest. <laughs> okay, chapter 9. So I'm going to skip forward real quick. We kind of set the tone for who, who Saul is. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest because, hey, we don't just want to project our own ideas and agendas. We want to gather support from, from leaders, okay? So he goes to the high priest. He requests a letter addressed to the synagogue of Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. Now, the way capital W, was how they referred to followers of Jesus. The word Christian wasn't used yet. It was just the followers of the way, the way of Jesus. He wanted to bring all these people, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus, oh, the story's going to get good right here. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he responds, verse 5, Who are you, Lord? See, here's what Saul's confused. You know why he's confused? He's confused because he felt like he was doing the will of God by killing Christians. He was being a, he was being a good follower of God based on Old Testament, based on, based on the fact that he didn't believe Jesus Christ, not that he wasn't a man. He knew Jesus was blood and flesh a man, but he, he didn't believe that he was the Messiah. So everything about Jesus was striking against the religious law. So this confused him because he's like, Saul, so why are you persecuting me? He's like, God, why am I persecuting you? I'm doing the right thing. Hmm. Sometimes... We may think with biblical proportion that we're doing the right thing. And God wants to transform our perspective. And the voice replied, I am Jesus. At this point, Saul has a mental breakdown. 
Because he's like, you're supposed to be dead. There's confusion over where your body is. People have said they've seen you. And now you're talking to me? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And, and Jesus is very direct. He goes, now get up. Go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself off the ground. He answered Jesus' call to surrender. He picked himself up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. What? What? He was blind. What does this mean for us? That God began to work on how Saul saw things. That sometimes God needs to work on the way we see things before we walk in to what it is we want to see. So his companions led him by the hand of Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and he did not eat or drink. I would be famished. Saul will then go on to experience one of the greatest, most powerful transformations ever in the history of mankind. We're going to get to that next week. But today, this is what I want us to focus on, the why, the who, and the how of transformation. So number one, why of transformation. The why of transformation, I'm going to tell you, transformation is altering. The word transformation means altered. Transformation is altering. It should, it should alter us. Here's what's great about this. I love the parallel. I love that Jesus gives us such great examples in his life. The writer of the book of Acts is this guy, Luke. He's a physician. He's very meticulous on how he writes. He wrote a book called Luke. And if you read the book of Luke right into the book of Acts, it's going to make really, really good sense contextually because that's the way that Luke wrote those books. He wrote them in continuation. So in the book of Luke 9, 28, it says about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James. This is before Jesus was killed on the cross. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, he appeared. Uh, the appearance of his face was what? Transformed, altered. This is called the transfiguration of Jesus. This was the altering. This was the transformation. And his clothes began dazzling white. Here's what the word altered means. It means the other. The other. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's another, it's one not of the same nature, form, class, kind. Now, Jesus is giving the disciples an example and a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to them when they sit in the upper room in Acts 2, verse 1, and the Holy Spirit comes, okay? This is important for us to understand. We, we have to grab a hold of this. Jesus is giving them like the hack, the inside scoop on what's about to happen to them later on. Jesus didn't need to be transformed. He, he was already full of, of everything it was he was supposed. He, he, didn't, he didn't need it like we need it. Jesus never sinned. But he needed to give us an example. Why? Because too often we use this excuse. You don't know what it's like. Oh, but Jesus did. So he gives us this beautiful example, this word altered, the other. So we jump forward, Acts 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room of the house where they were staying. So Jesus was on a mountain. He was praying. Transformation. What happens in this passage? Here are the names of those presents, Peter, James, John, and it lists all of his disciples. And it says, they all met together, were constantly united in what? Prayer. 
along with Mary, mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. What happened when the 120 followers of Jesus gathered in the upper room on a mountain like Jesus did to pray? Jesus was on a mountain to pray. All these followers go up on a mountain to pray. Parallel stories. What happens? They experience an altering like he did when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Transformation means renewal, rebirth. It means refreshing. This is important to us because I want you to know this morning that there is a you and then there's a you that you don't know yet. The word altar is the other. There's you and there's the other you. And the mistake that we make, that we're blind to, if you will, is we think the you that we're born into, like the, the, the you who we think we are without Jesus, is like our purpose and everything. It's our core identity and it's not. The other you is the you that you were purposed to be. It's your original design. It was God's intention for you. It says that you were formed in your mother's womb before the foundations of the earth were laid. So before sin even happened, God had you in mind. He had a purpose. He had a design for you. So there's an altering that has to take place. Saul earnestly believed he was doing the right thing by persecuting Christians and moreover persecuting Jesus. He thought that was his purpose. He thought that was his design. We often think that what we're doing, the good intention of what we're doing, we're doing it under God. Maybe we are, maybe we're not. But it's fitting that we all sense that we're doing the right thing with an almost God-like conviction. It makes sense in our humanity. Are you with me this morning? But this all happens prior to encountering the transforming power and grace of Jesus Christ. What if there were more on the other side? That maybe you're hearing this this morning and you're beginning to think about what if there's more Brighter, better, more fulfilling on the other side. That you and I were purposed and made for a reason, and my venture to guess would be, I don't know if we're all completely walking in the fullness of what God actually purposed us to walk in. That maybe what you're experiencing you need to know today that God didn't create you to experience the hurt and the pain that you're walking through. But he wants to transform you in the middle of it. Transformation is the becoming of who you have always been according to God's original design and purpose and intent. I am different. I am not the person I used to be. I'm, so th I'm full of gratitude. I'm thankful because I'm not the guy that I used to be. And believe me, the people around me are, are grateful too. <laughs> like, and every once in a while, that, that old dude wants to like raise his hand in the class and be like, I got something to say. Can, you, can, can anyone give me an amen, right? And I'm like, and, and, and I have a great father in my life. His name is Don Absher. My father passed away when he was 47 years old. I was 18. 
And God brought this amazing man named Don Absher, who was a pastor here for a number of years. He's living in Tennessee now. I love him dearly. And one of the reasons why I love him, he's been a father to me because he would continually say to me, and to this day, if I talk to him on the phone, so here's the core things we talk about. Jesus is at the center. He's after your heart, Pat. And you are not the guy that you used to be. And I wanna remind you this morning, you are not who you used to be when you step into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The why of transformation is for you to live according to God's original design for your life. And his way is always better. If you think life's good, it can get better. Let's talk about the hoof transformation really quickly. Transformation is for everyone. This is, I love this core truth about the gospel, the good news about the power of Jesus. It's for everyone. It's not relegated to just some people. Saul's story tells us that we're never too far from God's transforming power. But it also tells us that we don't have to be as bad as Saul in order to need it. Let me say that again. I'm a good person. You still need Jesus. Because I'm not Saul. I'm not that dude that I saw on YouTube. I'm not that woman that I saw on the news. I'm not that person that I saw talking to those people like that in the middle of the intersection. <laughs> right? We do this spiritual comparison game. We're like, well, that is how you should be stricken to hell for that. Betty, did you see it? And we're like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> hey, the statement like, I'm good, is rooted in pride, which tells me that you ain't good. So Saul gives us this amazing picture that Jesus can redeem anyone, but also those who don't seem to be that far from good. God's grace is not administered on a curve. I love this. When I was in school, did you, did you guys ever get graded on the curve? You guys know it? Does it, bro, is there a curve? Does they grade on curves anymore? Or is that politically incorrect and we're, we're, it's a disservice to children now? We can't do that anymore? Oh, so if they fail, we can't just say you failed. Okay. That's another sermon. Wow. God's grace is not administered on a curve. It's not like, well, 50% can go to this crowd over here. You're the 50% crowd. You're like the 10% crowd. All of you, you need like 100. All the percent they didn't use, you get 100 plus all theirs because you people, you, this is the I need Jesus badly crowd. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God's grace is not administered on a, on a curve. It's 100% available with 100% of its power for 100% of all the people who call upon his name. Acts 9.3, it says, As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down on him. Remember this, right? He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul. J Jesus is like, uh, Jesus is saying, Hey, Saul. I recognize you even though you don't recognize me. I'm 100%. You're 100% in my line of sight even though you're not even looking for me. He says, do you not know what you're doing to me? 
But, but I'm going to read this two different ways. It's like, Saul, Saul, do you not know what you're doing to me, man? I'm like mad about this, what you're doing to the Christians. You could read it that way. But that wasn't the tone that Jesus was saying it in. So we need to, br- we need to break some things r- real quickly on that. God is not mad at you. He's not yelling at you. Jesus isn't sitting there with a furrowed brow. Let me tell you what is happening. His heart is broken and he's weeping over the decisions that maybe we make sometimes. Because listen to this tone. It's less angry, but with a kind and broken-hearted tone that would lead Saul to a place of repentance. Saul, Saul, wake up. I've given everything. You watched all this transpire. You saw me brutally murdered on a cross. You've had plenty of opportunity to hear who I am. You've seen the miracles. You've heard the miracles. You've experienced in culture what happens when I step into a situation. And yet you still continue to deny who I am. Why why are you persecuting me when I'm full of kindness and love and grace? What's happening here in this exchange, Saul? Later on, Saul writes this as the apostle Paul in the book of Romans, says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Here's the key that we need to turn from our sin. Jesus is gently and kindly saying to Saul, I love you too much to leave you in your current perspective and paradigm you are never too far beyond the hand of God's transformative power ever he's going to reveal himself to you anywhere anytime and by any means he's going to reveal himself to you in your worst of times and sometimes in your best of times. He's gonna call you. The who of transformation is all inclusive to anyone, anyone who surrenders to God's process. Number three, and lastly, the how of transformation. I wanna tell you transformation is a process. Transformation's a process. Saul went through a process that began when he answered the call of surrender to Jesus. That's when it began. And we're gonna talk about more of his transformative story next week. But let me, let me tell you something. In surrender, we can say that surrender means to give up, but this morning I wanna tell you that surrender this morning is lay down. What is it We can have keys. We need, some, we need some Holy Spirit. My man, Julius. 
let me let, let me let me pose a question to you. I want you to think critically about this for a second. What was Saul laying down to answer the call of Jesus? I'm going to name a few. He was laying his family origin down. What's about what we're going to talk about next week, what's about to happen to Saul means he has to walk away from his family of origin. He would have had to have laid down all of his relationships because what's about to happen through the power of Jesus is going to shit it's going to shape and shift everything in his relationships. He's one of the smartest, most learned uh, religious leaders in history. What else is it going to cost him? We hear so much that, you know, the, the amazing gospel, the new good news of Jesus is free. In America, we're like, free, land up the free. We like free. But let me tell you something. It is free. You don't have to do anything to earn it, but it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your life. You're going to have to lay it down. And we, we need to understand this because too often we hear this message and we're like, yes, Jesus, and we think we can walk out the door and keep walking, murdering Christians, persecuting Jesus. <laughs> I'm speaking figuratively now. What else did he have to give up? He had to give up all of his traditions. He was a good Jew. He had to give up his ethnic identity as a Jew. When Jesus calls us, we need to see ourselves more as children of the kingdom of God than whatever our ethnic identity is. gave up his national identity. This is a big one for us in America. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we think the Bible, the center of the Bible is America. I want you to understand something. Sometimes we read scripture and we think God gave scripture to America for American Christianity and religion. could not be farthest from the truth. Jesus came to disrupt national structures. And this is what Saul had to give up. Power. As Stephen was killed, what happened? Stephen is killed. Whose feet were they killing Stephen at? Saul's. You know how much power he had? He could literally snap his finger. This whole room would be put in shackles and we would be put to death. That's power. He had to lay it down. And he had to lay his safety down. When you read the books that Paul has given to us, the church, it is a series of this dude and in the remainder of the book of Acts of this guy getting beat up, thrown in jail, shipwrecked. Like this dude gave his safety up. 
Transformation is a process that begins in laying down our lives and surrender. God is calling each of us. But can only transform those of us who answer the call to his voice through surrender. I'm going to read the New King James Version of this passage I just read to you. Jesus calls out to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? The Lord says, I'm Jesus. The person that you're persecuting. Every morning you get up and you decide to walk in the you that you think is number one. He says, Jesus says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. These goads were like spiky, prickly, spear-like almost. Jesus is like very gently saying, why do you continue to do things that cause and inflict pain on yourself? Haven't you tried it on your own enough? So he, Saul, trembling and astonished, he says, Lord, I love this question. Here's our question this morning. What do you want me to do? There's an invitation for you this morning. There's an invitation for us as the church, as we can and should be. What do you want me to do? Lord says to him, Arise, church. It is time for us to arise as transformed people, changed by the hand of God. Arise. Speak to the valley of dry bones and say, Arise. Get up, he says. Go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Must. What is required to attain some end. There is something that you must do that Jesus is asking you to do. And it's the only way for you to attain the end that he actually intended for you. And that's to live with him relationship, heart to heart, hand to hand, shoulder to shoulder. It's our original design. Jesus' instruction here, this is important, is not a suggestion, and it is not subjective. lifelong apprenticeship. Here's some, here, here's some I, I love this. There, there's a guy named John Mark Comer who uses this language so beautifully. This idea that we are in a life 
long apprenticeship underneath the voice, the leadership, and the authority of Jesus Christ. Transformation begins with the question, what do you want me to do? And it's fulfilled by the obedience of getting up and doing it. I'm going to say that again. Transformation begins in the question, what do you want me to do? But it's fulfilled in the obedience of getting up and doing it. Even if you feel like you can't see the point of doing it. When Saul got up, he was what? Blind. That this morning, God may be asking you to speak to something or do something or get up and go somewhere. And you're like, God, I'm blind to the reason why you would ask me to do that. And I want to encourage you this morning to have faith to just arise and go and be obedient to what it is. God is calling some of you to new destinations. Some of you literally, God is moving your heart like to different states, different areas, different countries. He's calling you. And, and, and you, I want you to be prayerful about those things, but I want you to be obedient. You can't see it right now. One of the biggest things right now the enemy wants to use against all of us is like you hear this message and you're like, the, our human heart wants to hold on to the hope of what I'm saying. But our minds do this weird thing where like, well, we can't see it, therefore I'm not gonna believe it. Remember, Saul got up blind. Saul would be in a process of development as a follower of Jesus for the rest of his life. If you read the rest of the book of Acts and you read all of his letters that he ever wrote in the New Testament, you're going to see this truth. Some of us are stuck. I'm going to, I'm going to pray and just end right now. Just, just close your eyes. Some of us, I feel like, are stuck in the process of transformation. And what I mean by that is, is that when you say yes to Jesus, I want you to know something. Here's some truths. When you say yes to Jesus, you're transformed. But at that very moment, you, in, you, you, you are walking into a development process of transformation for the rest of your life because there's things that you and I still are gonna blow it in and we need to work out, amen? Some of us are stuck in the process of transformation because maybe what we've done is we've become okay with the duplicitous nature, this dual-minded nature of living half transformed as long as we get to hold on to all the things that are holy to ourselves. Well, God, you can transform this part of my life, but you can't have this because this is holy to me and we're stuck in the process of transformation. It's frustrating. And I want you to know the Lord, as I was preparing for this, just said, Pat, in your own life, half-transformed followers who refuse to surrender by fully stepping in to this lifelong process of apprenticeship. Pat, when you feel like you're half-transformed and you're, and you're okay with it, you're really deformed. You were taking on the image of something that I didn't create for you. So when you say yes to Jesus, you're transformed. And now you get the opportunity to walk out the development process of your transformation. Transformed by Jesus and still being transformed through Jesus. Church canon should partner with the transformative power of Jesus as transformed people.
this morning, you have an opportunity to say yes to this transformation. There's two people in the room. Number one, you've never stepped into the transformative power of Jesus Christ in your life. And if you've never done that, if you've truly never done that, if you've never, maybe you've heard Jesus say, you know, uh, Jack, Jack, why are you persecuting me? Susan, Susan, why are you persecuting me? And you've said, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus. And he says, get up. And then you're like, no, I'm good. You're not walking in transformation. You've had an encounter with Jesus. But this morning you have an opportunity. If you want to encounter Jesus, his transforming power. Would you raise your hand? I'm going to pray with you this morning. Because life is better on the other side. Life is better on the other side. awesome. Here's what I love. I didn't see any hands go up. And you know what that means? That all of you know Jesus. I'm going to make a wild assumption that you're all telling the truth. That all of you know Jesus. Now I want to tell you if you know Jesus, I want you to make a commitment to stepping further into the transformative process and development that he has for you. We should be a church transformed, full of transformed people. Next week, we're going to discuss our role as transformed people, partnering with the transformation of other people. Here's a question I have for you. Have you answered Jesus' call of your name? With what do you want me to do? And what are you needing to do as your next step? What are you needing to do as your next step? If all of you are like, I know Jesus, what's your next step? Because there is a next step. So my challenge to us this week is take one step toward answering this week. Take one step toward answering this. Jesus, what do you want me to do? And when you hear him, I want you to execute on it. I want you to execute on it. You are a God of transformation. Some of you need to stick around for some prayer because the word that we had in the beginning about speaking life into areas that you feel like you're dead you're struggling with, you're confused, it's foggy, it's gray, however you want to describe it, and you're like, I don't really know, God, I'm giving up hope. If you feel hopeless in any area, wherever you feel hopeless, that's where the power of God needs to be spoken. So if you're feeling any of those ways, be sure, stick around. We want to pray with you. For the rest of us, enjoy your day today. Dads, enjoy your day barbecuing for the entire family. Okay? Let us walk as transformed people. And I want you to know you're not the person that you used to be. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.